This episode of Going Forward is brought to you by Optimizer, an award-winning PPC management tool used by advertisers worldwide. Save time and boost the performance of your PPC campaigns on Facebook, Amazon, and Google, or Microsoft. Get a 14-day free trial at optimizer.com slash go slash VIP. All right, everybody, I want to welcome you to an episode, another episode, and our second guest of going forward is going to be Dr. Melissa Malenek. All right, I said it right, did I? It's Malenek, but that's okay. Malenek, she got me, and I, I, I'm so happy to talk to her, Melissa today, and for those you know business owners and leaders out there, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of hearing what she has to say, and I'll tell you first on how we actually uh, met or came across one another. We both spoke at an event that was here in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, the Dig South event. And one of the uh, topics that Melissa's conversation was, it was about sleep. And one thing that I do know is sleep is super important. And there's, you know, back in the day when you were coming up, a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders, you know, to them, they were like all about the hustle, the 18 hour work days. And there's just, you do more harm to yourself than any good. And I wanted to have Melissa on so we could talk about, you know, sleep and uh, and also Melissa's company is the name. The name of her company is Mind Impact Consulting. She actually services people internationally around the world. And we're lucky enough to have her right in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. So welcome, Melissa, to the Going Forward podcast. How are you doing today? Eric, thank you so much. I'm really excited to have the chance to talk with you today. Doing great. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like I talked about in, in the intro, uh, you know, the word sleep and, and I want to kind of tell people exactly what you're doing. You're, you're, you're more than just, you know, talking about sleep. You, you are, a your workplace well-being. you know, you're, you're a guru an MD, and I want to talk about your business and some of the things that you've done and how you've helped some leaders overcome things and be better leaders just by well-being sleep and all of these things, if we can dive into that today. So, um, Melissa, how did you get started? Tell me how you got started. <laughs> well, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist by training. And so I started out and originally I was planning to go to med school and actually 9-11 happened. And I mm. really started to learn about trauma and PTSD and spent the next 20 years working internationally in Northern Ireland with conflict resolution and the troubles and spent the last five years working in South Africa with communities and post-apartheid work and just really wow. seeing the impacts that stress and trauma can have and jump ahead to doing a PhD and studying sleep and stress and anxiety and trauma and coming to Charleston 12 years ago to work here, having the honor to work at MUSC and the National Crime Victim Center and to be a frontline responder to many of the stresses and traumas that unfortunately have happened here in this city. And through learning those, uh, what different experiences people went through, I saw that there was so much of the sleep mm -hmm. disruption that was happening and the stress levels and the unhealthy coping. And let me have a few drinks wow. to shut off my mind and sleep. And as wow. we founded the sleep and anxiety program, and I was being able to piggyback on the work that was being done by amazing researchers and clinicians at MUSC, started to have more and more business executives and people from different organizations coming in. Because if you ask any leader, how are you doing? Unfortunately, you get one of two answers. I'm tired or I'm stressed. 
<laughs> and so that's where the Safe and Anxiety program came out of it. And as I was working with more and more leaders, I started to get more and more requests of, can you come and work with my team? Can you work with my wow. partners? And so from there, Mind Impact Consulting was born and started doing specific work with all different industries to help people to stress less, to sleep better, and to improve their overall quality of life based on science and research, but practical application. And that's what seemed to be the missing piece for many of these founders and entrepreneurs. Have you found, Melissa, that there's some industries that you are actually servicing more? Like, let's just say, like, is it like a law firms or or car dealers or anyone else? Is there a particular industry where you find like your services are needed a lot? I would say that it's definitely something that's universal. And across all industries, I've had the opportunity to work in different, all of the things that you've listed. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that there are some that are more open than others to that area. And there are some that have been hit even harder in the last few years. So the work I was doing through MUSC with the Resiliency Clinic and working with healthcare workers and such, I've spent a lot of time in the financial world, working with financial advisors, working with private equity and angel investors in different funds, helping to select and protect their portfolio companies. And I will say, especially a lot with founders and entrepreneurs. There, we see from research that over two thirds of startups end up failing, not because of the product or the budget, but because of aspects related to entrepreneurial well-being, communication styles, the ability to handle the stress and the pressures. And so I've been doing a lot of work in that space, but it's been really interesting to see that regardless of who I'm talking to, there everyone is struggling with the same thing. How do I yeah. make this transition? Well, Melissa, I mean, you said with entrepreneurs and leaders, like, you know, they're either tired or they're stressed, the two things that you said. Now, where does the stress come from? Where, where does that come from? So what's interesting is that in general, we are brought up as a society, as you talked about from the sleep side, but also from a stress side, that that is just a normal occurrence. And so we've learned to function from that state of stress. If you're not a little bit stressed, for many people, that almost becomes that welcomed companion. Well, because I'm a little anxious and worried, I'm going to check this one more time and maybe catch this mistake or it's going to help me to be on my game. And in general, we become acclimated to it. It's stressful in all different pieces, whether it's worried about family and friends and are we being a good partner? Are we present enough to, is my company going to survive? A lot of leaders, it's very lonely at the top. We hear that phrase a lot, but really pressures on themselves, right? And what do I communicate to who? And how do I portray my vision to the rest of the team? Can I really take that time off? Because if I don't do it, is somebody going to do it the same way that I am? Or if I don't show up for work, I'm not, I don't have PTO exactly as a, as a founder entrepreneur. How am I going to pay my bills? How is my, I need to spend those few years really grinding. And then once XYZ happens, then maybe I can take that break. But we know that those that are most engaged are at a highest risk for burnout. And as I said, we've become so acclimated to it. It's like walking into the smoky bar where you get that wave of smoke, but a few minutes later, you don't even notice it's there for many leaders, many founders, entrepreneurs, and across the board, even your students, your stay-at-home moms, every aspect of life, what happens is we're so used to functioning in a state of stress that we never fully let ourselves come back to baseline. And we don't realize that we remain that simmering kettle that can get to boiling a lot easier. You know, it's it's so interesting that you say that, like, uh, and, and you've traveled around in some of the places in Europe, they vacation a lot more 
than we do in the U.S. Could could some of that have an, a, an effect on us, like uh, with the, the amount of stress that we have? Like, for example, um, I remember going like to Disney some years ago and there were there was a family from the U.K. where they call it they're on holiday is what they said. And they'd be on holiday for a month or two. Where in the U.S., I mean, you may get, you know, two weeks of PTO throughout the year. Can that be some kind of factor for a lot of leaders and entrepreneurs? Oh, it's huge. And there's a couple of different things that you hit on there. Let me try to jump to each. We know that from a research standpoint, one, that individuals that are taking at least 11 mm-hmm. days of vacation a year, not sick days, but vacation days, actually mm-hmm. research is showing that they perform better higher levels of productivity, Mm. higher percentages of being promoted, earning their bonuses and such by really taking that decompression time. And what we see very much, especially in the U.S., is that, one, people aren't taking the time off. They don't feel like they can. Or it's Mm. when I leave for work, I don't have anyone else to cover for me. I'm going to come back and my inbox is going to be full and I'm more stressed. and I need a vacation from my vacation. Also, because we know that we're so busy that there takes time for people to really disconnect and especially with technology and still being able to be on, Oh, well I'm on PTO, but I'm going to just check my inbox to make sure there isn't a fire or I'm going to make sure that I'm on call in case this person calls me. And so it's really difficult as a society for us to learn to truly disconnect. So it may take three or four days for us to really get into quote unquote vacation mode and then Mm -hmm. go right back again. And so those transitions we're not really truly giving ourselves that opportunity to decompress, to rest, to disconnect and to relax. Do you, like, for example, like we just talked about, like people taking time and vacation for themselves. Do you find yourself sometimes talking to corporations, businesses as well and get, consulting them about like their PTO policy and using some of the research that you said about people taking more time off? They're, they're mentally better. They're more productive. I mean, is that something that someone, a business should reach out to you about? Uh, I'd love to have the conversation with them. It's interesting how you can provide people with the research and the data, but there's also the practical application. And I think that that is one of the biggest things that when I'm working with organizations is seeing the underlying foundation and structure of how to actually implement that. Because you're finding for a lot of companies, you may give the employees more time off. Or they may even have a flexible schedule where there's unlimited PTO, but they don't always take it. And there's reasons for that. For some people, they're not taking it because, as I said, there's the stress of, well, I'm going to take the time, but what am I going to come back to? For others, it's a bit frowned upon. So even though the policy is there, you have that mindset of, well, how much time are you taking? And this person hasn't taken time off or we don't have the person to fill your position. So what is going to be delayed or can you wait to take your time at a different time? And so sometimes there are what people feel either the unwritten pressures from the organization or that they may be putting on themselves of, well, I don't want to use my PTO to take a staycation or stay at home. I want to build this all up. Or what if there's this thing that happens and I need it? Or it could even just be, well, I find my value in my work and what I'm doing and it feels good to be needed and it's difficult for me to disconnect because I don't want to feel like I could be replaced. There's all these different things that can come into play for the individual as well as for the organization that it can't just be that the PTO is there, but it's the policy set in place and encouraged and also modeled by the leaders. Having that founder be able to, I I know there's a, a startup that I was working with in the past 
where the team literally shut off the Slack channels, shut off the email and said, okay, founder, okay, CEO, you go take the time and we are not going to reach out to you no matter what. I wish my people are listening right now so they can just <laughs> do the same thing. You know what I mean? And like, uh, that's that's really interesting. Now, like, do you think? Let's just say there's there's different generations coming up in the workplace right now. You know, for someone, you know, you know, a boomer, you know, who's been around, you know, uh, you know, fifty five plus sixty years old, they're not used to unlimited PTO. Do you find like the different generations respond differently? Uh, to stress and sleep when you are talking to people? Or is it just kind of the entire spectrum? Everyone's doing the same thing. There's definitely variety. There's definitely difference, but there's also even individual difference within generations. But I think what's also very interesting is different expectations of the instant gratification, the instant versus some of the older generations that you couldn't Google something. You had to go and look it up. You had to wait until that program came on and things weren't yeah. on demand. And you were going to the grocery store to get the next edition of the encyclopedia to learn about your information. So there's, there is a different mindset, but I don't want to shoot that generation short because they have adapted technology into the perks of it. But I think what happens is we have become a society that's so used to now the instant reaction, the instant response. And because mm. we're now so connected, it is much easier to be constantly in touch with individuals, not just professionally, but also personally. We see a lot of this, and I know a lot of the folks listening, they have children and adolescents. And part of the reason we see so much stress in these kids is say it was a Friday night and you weren't invited to the party. Well, you may not have known that you weren't invited and it isn't until Monday morning that you heard people talking about it. But now you see it instantly on social media that you're not yeah. included and people are comparing their worst to the best that's being presented. You see this professionally in terms of what people are putting on LinkedIn and those things, but also personally. And so while it can be really great in some ways to be able to have that instant connection, sometimes it also causes us to be more reactive versus responsive. We see something and we immediately react instead of having that moment to be able to take the adult time out, really process before we respond to things. I tell people, if you get that emotional or intense email, take a minute, write out the response, but you don't have to click send or write it in a Word document instead of in the email so you don't accidentally send it so you can have that moment. There are small little hacks that you can do that take away that need for that instant response. And that's part of those pressures is that people now send an email and want an instant response. And even if it's a few hours, it can feel like you're delayed or not working hard enough, which is why we then see it cutting into people's sleep because they feel that need to, whoever's emailing first thing in the morning, it's who's the earliest to show up, who's the latest to stay, that badge of honor that you're tired because you're dedicated. Wow. That's a, that's a mic drop moment right there. Uh, I want to talk about the badge of honor, but you also brought something up that I thought was really interesting. And you said the adult timeout. Let's explain that for people, the adult timeout. I think that because we are a society that now does have everything so instantaneously, and we do feel that need to instantly respond, that sometimes we are, you'll see it too, where people will send two or three emails in a row. Or it's great that we have the connections with the Slack channels and the Teams channels and all those different pieces, but sometimes we do immediately have all of these emotions. And because we are stressed, 
we may just like we talk about somebody being hangry and maybe we respond in a way we didn't want to. If mm -hmm. we're stressed, we may not be having our full focus on something. We know that we are constantly being pulled in different directions. So there's a alert that's popping up and this chat is here and this email here and all these other things. So we're not giving our full focus to something. If we're honest, We've all sent messages with typos because we were trying to shoot them off quickly. We may not have read something thoroughly because, oh, we see this, we need to respond really quickly. And so that's where it becomes more reactive many times. Research shows us that when we're multitasking and we're jumping back and forth between things, it can actually reduce our productivity time by over 40%. So even small little things like turning off the notifications that so you can get to it when you need to get to it. When you wake mm -hmm. up in the morning, don't immediately jump into your inbox. If you have your list of to-dos, be able to you take control over directing your day instead of your inbox taking control of directing the day. And then it's hours later and things didn't get done on the to-do list. And while you accomplish things, you feel like you didn't. There's ways to restructure your time and your prioritization that help to reduce the stress that give you deliberate times to be able to de-stress and to process throughout the day. That's a whole other thing that I'd love to talk a bit about. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, I want to talk about that because I think I think that's super important because like the notifications, uh, they're enough to drive you mad. And truthfully, it's like I, I remember walking down the hallway one day and uh, this lady said to me, she said, how are you doing? I said, busy. She said, are you busy or are you productive? And, and it almost stopped me in my tracks. I was like, dang, I was like, I never thought of it that way. Because you, you can go home. Some people show up to work and all they've done is check emails all day long. Mm -hmm. So let's let's talk about that, that the notifications and, and the distractions and productivity. Let's talk about that because I think that ultimately also has an effect on, you know, people being tired. Like you said, the entrepreneurs are them being stressed out and the low productivity and people feeling like they got to have that badge of honor. I got to get in early. I got to stay late. You know, that kind of thing. So there's a couple of different directions that I want to take with that. And I always highlight that, the difference between busy and being productive. I think one of the keys that you touched on is that there's a difference between being fatigued and being sleepy, actually physically tired. And what happens for many people is we become mentally exhausted because we've had to use our brain so much and there's so much that we're attending to and there's so much stress that we're managing, but also even just good things. There are positive things that happen in our lives, a new job, a promotion, getting married, having a, you know, a new baby, all these things that can still take our time and disrupt our sleep. But what happens is that for many of us, we confuse the fatigue and the mental fatigue with being physically tired and sleepy. And so wow. then we go home at the end of the day and we think, oh, I got to go to bed early and we crawl in bed and then we're wide awake. And what ends up happening is we haven't actually done the things to build up the physical tiredness and the physical sleepiness because we have been sedentary all day. And our brains do need those times to decompress, but it doesn't always mean let's just try to crawl into bed and force ourselves to sleep more than we actually need. It's what right. we're doing. To, and that's part of the productivity as well. So one is to, for instance, chunk out your times. Knowing that, yes, there's emails, we have to respond to things, but set dedicated time in your day if you can. And I get practical, you know, simple versus easy. But if you can say, okay, I'm going to send this time, but then I'm going to take this chunk to work on this project or this thing. And during that time, whether it's sending an away message, whether it's muting the alerts for the short period of time, you can mm -hmm. have those few people in the organization where you say, okay, 
I, my calendar is going to look busy. If you really truly need me, call me or text me or what is the alert system that if they really need you, they can reach you, but that they learn and that you are helping other people learn how to work with you for what your needs are to say during those times, if my schedule's blocked, I'm doing something that's important. Or if I'm not, I may not immediately respond to an email, I'll get to it by the end of the day, you know, set up those expectations, but then to explicitly communicate those. It may be the fact that you are a night owl and you're going to send, you know, you go home and you want to spend the afternoon with your kids while they're awake, but then you're going to be on email from eight to 10, letting the team know that that's why I'm doing this, or this is what I'm doing it as little or as much as you want to explain the why, but that doesn't mean that I'm expecting you to be up at 10 PM responding to me or mm. I'm the early bird and I'm going to get up and I'm going to work really well at 5 AM, but that doesn't mean that you have to start your clock until seven or eight when your day starts. So part of it with the, the tasks and with the email, with the multitasking is figuring out what works well for you as the individual and reconditioning yourself that you don't have to be reactive. Because then the email comes in, you start responding to that, you see an email from someone else, and next thing you know, you have accomplished multiple things, but the things that you really needed to get done weren't always able to happen. So I always recommend for individuals about 15 to 20 minutes before bed, an exercise, a new homework assignment that I'd love to give all of your viewers that helps to them to be more productive with their scheduling and helps to quiet the mind. Would you be okay for me to jump into that for a minute? Yeah. And but I think before you do that, I want to know, like, do you have my house bugged? Do you have my office bugged? Because you just described me in a nutshell. I mean, my goodness, come on, man. You got me. That's I, I think that's you hit the nail on the head, but go ahead with those steps. So, and I, but I think what, what I'm, I'm happy to hear you say, and I think it's important for your, your viewers to hear is that they're not alone in those experiences. And that that's what a lot of people are going through. And so helping them to be able to be at that place of saying, okay, this is happening. Let me acknowledge it. There are, because I'm not the only one going through it, there are things that I can do to be able to fix it. And there may be times when it doesn't feel like I can immediately do something about it, but at least I have a plan in place. Right. And that's why, as we say throughout the day of prioritizing, what are the things that really have to get done? If you are somebody that has a manager or a director, it's okay to have the conversation with them and say, I have all these tasks to do. I want to be really effective at my job. I need you to help me to know what are your priorities. I'm going to do everything I can to get everything done on the list, but I know it may not all get done immediately. So what do you want me to prioritize? And that's not saying a cry of help, I can't do it all, but that's helping you to be in alignment with what their expectations are. So there's little things like that as well. But if you'd like me to jump into the, the quick take-home tip and the homework assignment for quieting our yeah. minds. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. So what happens is, as we know, throughout the day, we're go, go, go. We have constant things happening. And then it's time to crawl into bed, and we want to just flip the switch. We want our mind to shut off and go to bed. First of all, that's not the way that our brains work. We know that our brains need time to decompress and our brains are designed to process even positive things, but we're not giving it that time to do it. So our brain's trying to grab any opportunity to do so. It's the same thing with food. If you're eating at the same time every day, your body knows when to expect that it's going to get nutrients and calories, which right. is going to reduce the cravings at other off times. When we're not eating at the same time every day, our body is more likely one to hoard calories because it doesn't know when the next meal and energy source is coming. And it's more likely for us to have cravings at different times throughout the day. Does that make sense? 
It does. It sure does. So it's the same thing with our sleep. When we're sleeping at the same time every day, our body learns when to feel tired and when it's going to feel sleep. And it's the same thing with processing. So when we are affording our brains the opportunity to process through the stressful things, to process through the positive things, then it's not going to try to grab those moments when we crawl in bed and it's the first time with no distractions that we're alert with our thoughts all day, which can be scary for some people. So homework assignment. And I say suspend judgment. I have literally used this strategy and so have many clinicians and researchers for decades with everyone under the sun whether it's your stay-at-home moms, the special ops and special forces folks that I'm working with, your business executives, your students, everything in between. Take a notepad and a pen about 15 to 20 minutes before bed. On the right-hand side of the page, write your to-do list for the next day. I have to go to the bank. I have to go to the dry cleaners. I have to send this email because our brain is going to naturally be planning things out when we're in bed because it's the first time we've let it do that for the day. You write it down so you don't have to be thinking about it when you're in bed. Wow. On the left-hand side of the page, set a timer for about five minutes to start. Over time, the time will fluctuate. And you're going to literally write everything that's running through your mind. Now, suspend judgment. We're not creating worries. What we're doing is we're taking everything that's been in the mind and we're allowing it the opportunity to come out. So it's not having to constantly been stored in the back of your brain. You're no longer having to use the resources to do that. Just like when you try to shut down your computer, And it says the hardware is ready to shut down, but the software is still running in the background. So as you're writing everything, the first minute is going to be surface level. Your brain's going to be saying, oh, I'm worried about my kids and finances. But as you write more, more and more is going to come out. You're going to surprise yourself. What was I thinking about this? Or you may start, you know, you may feel exhausted, but you'll start problem solving through it. And so what it's doing, you will feel tired and exhausted afterwards. But as you're doing that, your brain is finally getting that time to process. You take it, you set it on the nightstand, and you get in bed. If your brain is still processing, you get out of bed and you write more and get back in bed. What you're doing is you're teaching your brain that your time in bed is sacred for sleep. It's not allowed to process there. So just like you take a puppy and you keep putting it outside to potty, it's not allowed to go in the house. You're teaching your brain that the time in bed is not for planning and processing, but you will give it that time. And you can do that when you wake up at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night. Write it down. Do not turn on your email. You're not going to send the most eloquent email at 3 a.m., nor are your family and friends going to want to know why that's happening. And write it on that sheet of paper so we're not waking our brains up with the light from technology. And you, over time, your brain learns when it's going to get to process and when not to disturb you. And you're going to be more effective the next day because you already have your to-do list done even before you get that cup of coffee. And you don't have to check your email to know what you need to do. So it's already there. So you don't get distracted by small fires. You can be more productive versus just busy. You, you know, it's, it's, I, I love that. And I was going to ask you, I was like, well, Melissa, you know, everyone has their phone right next to them. Why, why shouldn't they take out their phone and do it? Like you just said, you know, it's going to be the light and the distractions, you know, when you're winding yourself down for bed. Um, is it healthy, you know, since we're on the topic of this and and going to bed, should you have a television in your bedroom? No. So I'm going to share on this for a minute. I promise. Mm -hmm. The thing with technology is this, is that we know, uh, so from a science standpoint, the optic nerve perceives light. It sends messages to a part of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. For simplicity's sake, I'll call it the sleep switch. When it's light out, it says it's light, be awake. When it's dark out, it says it's time to sleep. 
So if you've ever taken your phone and you light up your entire dark room, imagine mm -hmm. how much light you're perceiving. Wow. So first, wow. we know the light from our technology, that's going to have an impact. We can, we've seen research that it can delay people over two hours to be able to fall asleep. This is huge with adolescents and teens. We can talk about it if you want. But mm -hmm. there's a lot with the light and the technology in general. From a television standpoint, not only is there the light, but many people will say, I need the technology, I need the TV to be able to quiet my mind and fall asleep. Well, we've already talked about a strategy to help to do that instead of needing the technology to distract our brain to fall asleep. But have you ever noticed that the commercials are louder than the regular TV show? Hmm. So think about when you're starting to fall asleep and that volume change, it's gonna potentially jolt you awake. And so not only is it the light, but there's the sound changes. And if you're starting to fall asleep, it may not completely wake you up, but it can bring you into these kind of, we'll call them non-specific arousal states where you're yeah. fully awake, but you're not in a restful state of sleep. So say you take the television out and now you're listening to podcasts and all these other things, which we want them to obviously listen to podcasts, but there's a time for it. Because if you were sleeping and a stranger walked into your room, you'd probably want your body to wake you up to make sure it wasn't a threat. But when there are different voices that you're hearing and your brain's trying to process, is this a safe person? Is this not? Even music and lyrics and volume changes, all of these things can cause these disruptions that pull you out of stressful stages of sleep. So in general, if you need noise, static, a fan, a white noise machine. And if you're needing all of these different things to quiet the mind, one, we then become dependent on it. So we can't fall asleep without it. So it's hard when you're traveling and you don't have access to it or you don't have the internet or Wi-Fi. But two, it also is going to have the impacts on, as we said, those arousals. So that's where something like the writing to quiet the mind, we no longer need the distractors. If you are going to use the different sleep stories and those things, it's best to have a timer so that it will shut off over time. So it's not playing throughout the course of the night and to mm -hmm. use the ones that are specifically designed for sleep. So then that way, the monotone voice, it's getting less and less volume. But the TV in general is really bad for your sleep. Got it. Wow. I, I love that about the white noise because, you know, a lot of times I'll tell Alexa, play like some nighttime music. Um, but uh, I wanted to ask you this. Is that kind of why, like, some of the babies, they sleep better with white noise? And we do these things for our, our, our little ones, but we don't do them for ourselves. Hey, it's Eric here from VIP Marketing, and I want to ask you digital marketers something. Are you frustrated with your current PPC marketing campaigns? Well, I want to tell you about a tool that we use here at our agency. It's called Optimizer. You have the ability to get your reports up to date and make sure that you get alerts on them. You can even work into workflows as well. So if you're frustrated with your campaigns right now and the reporting systems that you use, I want to give you a 14-day free trial of Optimizer. Go to optimizer.com slash go slash VIP. And if there's, there's lots of schools of thought on that because whatever we're doing leading up to bedtime and when we're sleeping is what our brain is going to start to connect and associate with sleep. So if we're always listening to a white noise machine, then our brain learns that it needs it. Think of it this way. If I said to you, I'm going to go to the movies, what snack am I most likely going to get? What would you say? Popcorn. So movies, popcorn. I want your brain to say bed, sleep, not bed, stress and process, not bed, work. And these other things, we want those connections. So if it's a white noise machine, if it's reading or watching TV, our brain starts to learn when this happens, it's time to sleep. 
So yeah. be conscious what we have in our wind down routines. That's why we don't want to be email then bed, but we also, and it doesn't, some of these things can be really helpful, but that's why our bed needs to be reserved for sleep, sleep and romantic activity. That's it. Not reading, not watching TV, not eating, not working. Cause then we confuse our brain. Should I be awake or should I be asleep? That's why we also don't want to sleep anywhere other than our bed. You fall asleep wow. on the couch, you wake up two hours later, and now you can't fall back to sleep. So, but you did comment on for the kid piece, there's mm -hmm. so much for our children. And we do that. We tell our children and even our significant others what to do, but then we don't practice what we're preaching. You, you touched on something earlier. We were talking about, you know, wearing the badge of honor, going in early, getting out late and all those things like that. Do you think uh, if the leader of that organization adopted these things uh, and, and did better with not only mental health, but well-being as well, do you think it could spread throughout the organization and he could have a better organization? I think that it's a huge step. I think that for he or she, whoever it is that's the leader, when they're modeling it and they're exhibiting it, it does set a really important example for the rest of the team to say they're doing it, just like we know that what the parents are doing can be a really great model for the kids. But I think it all I think that's one really important step and a, a significant piece of the puzzle. But I mm -hmm. think there's also the important pieces of how are they then also responding to the team and really setting a culture in place where the team can do the same things. Is it that if the leader is taking the vacation, then everyone else has to work harder or that if the, the leader is expecting them to work certain hours. So I think it trickles down to encouraging the vacation time, for instance, and then truly letting people take that and modeling that and setting up opportunities and resources for the organization. Even if you're a small startup and you don't have the funds to have full benefits and other things yet, are there even certain patterns where you aren't responding to email at a certain point of time? Or if your employee is on vacation and they're responding to something, instead of just rewarding them for working hard while on vacation, is there a positive way to say, you know, Eric, I really love your dedication to the team, but it's really important to me that you do take this break and I want you to know that it's okay that you can do so. I have yeah. this in wow. place to cover for you while you're gone so you can take that break. Do you see how that can have a different impact as well? So I think you need both pieces to have the full puzzle. I think it's it's so weird. Like we we never think about some of these like fundamental things, and it seems like we just invite more things into our life, like technology, um, or or the hustle mentality. It's like we're doing it to ourselves. You use that example, like uh, if you weren't invited to a party. Uh, years ago, you wouldn't know until Monday morning, but now you know on Friday night. So is it, what could we do to, um, I guess, reduce the amount of stress and have a better well-being when it comes to technology? Should we minimize that to like a certain amount of time per day? How, how can we do that? So there are a lot of different solutions and some of them are very individualized. It depends. We know that the average American checks their phone over 80 times a day, about every 10 to 12 minutes. So part of it is being a bit more deliberate about how we're using our technology. So for instance, you don't have to take your phone into the bathroom with you. Like, you know, there are things where even just being able to set it down and let it charge and not having to have it constantly by our side. 
for many of us, it becomes a welcome distraction. So maybe we're working on something and we're really stressed. We want to decompress. So we immediately pick up the phone to do that with. But now we're down the rabbit hole of TikTok videos and other things. Are there other relaxation strategies that we can be using and making we're not stressed? So is there certain music that we can listen to? Can we take a walk? Can we be? And for many of us that can't get away from our desk, what are things that we can do to de-stress at our desk without, and I, again, I could go through a whole list of these. And that's something that I know we've shared. I do my weekly Wellbeing Wednesday videos that I give some of those tips on and I can share some with you for your listeners. But what are things that you can do other than reaching immediately for the phone and for the technology to give our brain that moment to decompress? Is it listening to something? Is it doing some physical activity? Just does that mm. make sense being able to, have that break. Also at nighttime, having decompression time that doesn't just involve the technology. If we want to watch TV, fine, but sitting further away from it without all the overhead lights so we can simulate that dusk, that also plays a role with light in terms of our body producing certain chemicals like melatonin, but I'll leave that for now. And then also being able to find things. Is it a quality conversation with someone, being able to have a conversation with them instead of just texting? We know that that social support is so important for reducing our stress and helping us to really do some of these phone and technology holidays. Put your phone yeah. in the other room, charge it somewhere where you are going to it. If you notice that you're going to your phone, put a little sticky note on it that has a list of other things you can do first. Wow. I want to take a break and then I want to come back and I want us to focus on sleep and then discuss meditation. Is that okay? Sounds great. All right. So uh, I want to thank our listeners for sticking with us. And uh, this is going forward. All right, I want to welcome everyone back to going forward. And you know, uh, Melissa, you're you're bla you're blazing it. You had a lot of mic drop moments in, in the first half just now. And you know, I want to selfishly ask you now about sleep. You know, because I know there are a lot of leaders, entrepreneurs, and colleagues that I may have, and 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 I think we've graduated from the you know the work till sunset, sunrise, you know, hustle mentality structure, but. I think a lot of us just don't know how important sleep is, you know, for our body, our well-beings, you know, also also our health. So let's talk about sleep. Well, sleep is definitely a topic very near and dear to my heart and something that I can talk about for many days. I think that sleep has become something that on one hand, more and more people are recognizing is important. But on the other hand, it's still something that unfortunately gets neglected. We think about how serious we are about keeping our technology charged. And we have the chargers with us and the portable chargers and the cords and our, our cars are set up to keep our technology charged. But do we spend even a fraction of that percentage making sure that our bodies are recharged? We know that, as we said, <laughs> you look like you want to comment on that. I keep my phone above 80%, but I don't keep my body that way. Mm -mm. And just wow. thinking about that, we know, for instance, that 
getting one hour less of sleep a night can have a significant impact. One hour less than what our bodies need can have a significant impact on our memory, attention, focus, concentration. Mm -hmm. For gentlemen, as I'm talking to you, one hour less sleep a night than your body needs can age you in testosterone by 11 years. As a 40-year-old, your body can function as a 51-year-old. You see that? Say that one more time. Say Say that again. One hour less sleep a night than your body needs can age a man in testosterone by over 11 years. So a 40 year old's body will function as a 51 year old because of the way that (laughs) we see the same thing for women with hormones and sage. I mean, I could go through for athletes, how many people are, and we know that physical exercise is important, but how many people are waking up early to get the workout in and don't realize that that's going to impact the body's ability to produce the growth hormone and what it needs. For individuals that aren't getting enough sleep, we can actually see for some of them where the bodies will start to metabolize muscle before fat because it's wanting to hold the fat stores to use as energy because they're not getting enough sleep. So it can be impacting the ability for the workouts to actually happen. From a weight standpoint, we can see people gaining weight or an inability to lose weight because their body is holding on to the fat stores as an energy source, as we said. There's so much there. And so what happens is one, it's really important for us to understand how much sleep we need right now and then when to get it and how it changes over time. Because the older we get, it's actually the less sleep that we need. It may not sound like that makes sense, but if we think about how we sleep and how sleep is for that rest in our body to be able to rest and to restore itself, but also for cell growth. Well, think about how much sleep a newborn gets versus a six-month-old, a two-year-old, a 10-year-old. Over time, we do see that once we hit our mid-20s, we're not having the growth spurts anymore. Our brain has finished developing. And the only thing less growing is our waistline that we're trying to stop. One of those things where what we really need to start focusing on is the fact that, yes, we want to exercise, we want to eat healthy, but we need to have that third part of that. We need to have the quality sleep so that our body can use the resources wisely. We can have the full physical restoration and the psychological and mental restoration. If we're not getting enough quality sleep, it's disrupting our brain's abilities to flush the toxins out. You see that that plays a big role for later in life with dementia and Alzheimer's. We also see just for our memory, attention, focus, and concentration. So we see so many kiddos with ADD and ADHD when they're getting more sleep, we see even those symptoms reducing sometimes. You know, coming up, you know, we were always taught, you know, eat the food, the the food group, you know, the bread, the the milk, cheese, dairy, all this other stuff. And then, you know, we hear eight hours. Is eight hours the perfect number for sleep? So eight hours is an average. And so since I I talked to the men for a minute, I'll talk to the ladies in the group. So if I ask the women that are listening and I said, do you wear a shoe size of an eight and a half to a nine? Some would say yes. And a lot would say no. Eight and a half to nine is the average U.S. woman's shoe size right now. But some people wear a six. Some people wear a 10. And eight is the same thing. So while it is an average, that means that some need more and some need less. And that does also change over time. What's interesting with what you bring up there is because our brains are so powerful, if we think we need eight hours and say we need more, well, we'll try to convince ourselves that we need less and try to get by with less, but that can impact us. But the opposite, if we think we need more and we need less, so maybe we need seven hours, but we'll wake up and we'll feel tired 
because mm -hmm. the brain is overriding because it's saying, well, you only got seven hours. I thought you needed eight. And so there's so much mm -hmm. happening there that it's really important to determine how much sleep you actually need right now for your current stage of life, your current physical and mental activity, your genetics, your age, and all these other parts. And it does change over time. So it's hard because you can't compare with what you needed 10 years ago and you can't compare it to your friends and partners. It's very individualized. Do which I mean, men or women, which one need more sleep or do they both need the same amount? There are a lot of differences based on gender, but it also depends on age, physical activity, mental activity. There's different stages of life where we will also see that some need more and some need less. So it's difficult to just give a blanket response to it. But mm -hmm. I think what's more important is to recognize that, listen to your body and listen to your functioning level. And if you want, I can go into some tips on how to determine what your actual individual sleep need is, if you'd like me to. Let's do that. I, I think that would be really helpful. So what I want to share is that this is a strategy that typically is used when people are doing something called CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, for people that aren't always sleeping well. It's been adapted for individuals to get better quality sleep across all contexts, and there are decades and decades of research behind it. So okay. I love sharing these tips. But if you are somebody that has seizures, has bipolar disorder, or has untreated sleep apnea, we're not going to do exactly what I'm saying. We'd make some modifications. So that's where the, the psychologist and the doctor to me has to just say those caveats. But That's the disclaimer. It, but it also is important because not everything works for every person, right? Just like you that's said, some true. people, yeah. yes, drink your milk for healthy bones, but maybe you're lactose intolerant. You know, there are different things where one size doesn't always fit all. But what I'm going to share next, we have seen across all typical sleepers, has been the number one thing that will help play a role in them getting better quality sleep. So okay. quick four steps. Step one is determining how much sleep we're getting right now. So you're going to count up all of the hours that you're sleeping on an average night, and we want to come up with one number. So not a range. It's six and a half to seven, or not it's five during the week and seven on the weekends, which I am going to have to tangent here for one moment. You, another myth to debunk is you can't technically catch up on sleep. What we mean by that is it's not that if you didn't sleep well Friday night, all of a sudden you can just sleep longer on Saturday and have it all be fixed. We are going to sleep a lot on the weekend and try to have it last throughout the week. We don't have the camel hump storing water that stores sleep and our body can only process so much sleep at a time. If you miss dinner, you're going to feel really hungry for the next meal. But if you eat two meals, your body can only process so many calories productively at once. So it, research shows it can take up to four days for your body to make up and balance out from losing one hour of sleep. So trying to take two days on the weekend to make up for it isn't going to be enough time to really wow. have that catch up. But I feel like you want to comment on that, and then I'll go back to the four steps. No, keep going. Keep keep going. I mean, I'm you're you're you're, you're hitting the button here with me because I you know I I am. I'm one of those. I was like, oh, I catch up and sleep on the weekend. I'll sleep a little longer. But I mean, it's not like we have a sleep account. <laughs> exactly. Keep going. Yeah. And when you're sleeping at different times, your body doesn't know when to feel tired. Sometimes you're going to bed at 10. Sometimes you're going to bed at midnight. Well, when am I supposed to feel tired? So that can be actually harder to fall asleep. And if our body only needs, say, six hours of sleep, but we're trying to spend 10 hours in bed to get it, we're stretching this out. Now we're going to see these holes and these gaps 
because we don't have enough sleep to persist through the entire window. So we're going to wake up more often. And when we're waking up multiple times, when we have more fragmented sleep, it actually reduces our ability to have restorative sleep. So we'll find that we, and typically our body will be prioritized to heal first over the mind. Evolution, you wanna be able to protect yourself to fight or flight, run away from the threat, fight it off. So it's not usually till the early morning hours that we're spending more time in the stages of sleep where our mind is being repaired and our memory and all of these things. So if we're waking up multiple times, we have to keep starting over, just like the kids game shoots and ladders, we're cheating ourselves out of the REM sleep that we need later on throughout the night for our mind repair. That's why wow. it's better to squeeze the air out of the Ziploc bag, defrag the computer, consolidate our sleep so that we have less awakenings and we can have more restorative sleep. Shall we jump into those steps? Jump in, uh, jump in. Um, you're, you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> and the thing is, again, as I said, there's a difference between simple and easy. I can give you strategies. You have to be committed to doing them and you're not gonna be able to do every single one at once. But my goal when I'm working with individuals, with organizations is to give practical tips that people can start applying right now with their busy lifestyles. Instead of just telling somebody, well, do all these things and they don't know how to fit it in. So here are your four steps. Step one, count up how much sleep you're getting right now and let's take the average across the seven days. So if you get in bed at 10, you don't fall asleep until 11 because you're reading and such, that doesn't count. Time in bed is not time asleep. But if I sleep from say 11 to three, I wake up for an hour, I use the bathroom, I check the phone, I go back to bed from four to 5.30, now I'm up to five and a half hours. I get up for my workout, maybe I take a half an hour nap in the afternoon, add up all of that time. And so say for instance, for example, sake, it was the six hours was your one number. Step two is we're gonna choose a sleep window that you're gonna use for the next seven days. So identify, choose. For choosing, we're gonna say, what is the earliest that you have to wake up across those seven days? Maybe it's 6 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays because you have a workout class that day, or you have to drive your kids to school, whatever it may be. And then you take that wake up time, you count backwards the number, and that becomes your new window. So if mine's six hours with a 6 a.m. wake up, that means my bedtime is what, Eric? Uh, uh, midnight? Exactly. Yeah, now, yeah. Maybe midnight feels too late. So I could make yeah. it 11 to 5 or 10 to 4. But the key is still to have it be only those six hours, not stretched out because I want to get in bed earlier. So do you see what I'm doing here? So then I exactly. stick. Step three is stick. Stick to it for seven days. You can do anything for seven days. That means that if I'm not supposed to get in bed till midnight, I don't get in bed till midnight. I Maybe I'm going to fold laundry or do something boring. That half an hour before bed, I'm going to do that writing and journaling that we talked about. And then I'm going to get in bed. If I don't fall asleep till one or two in the morning, I'm still going to wake up when my alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and get out of bed. And I'm not going to take a nap the next day. And I am going to expect to feel more sleepy. But I know that it's coming, so I can still be in control of it. And then that means that I'm going to build up enough sleepiness that by the time it's time to go to bed the next night, I'm extra tired and it's easier to fall asleep. After a few days, my body starts to learn and adjust to that. And then this is where step four comes in. Now it's time to adjust. So what I'm going to do is if I'm falling asleep within 10 to 15 minutes, I'm sleeping straight through the night minus a bathroom break, and I'm waking up and I'm still feeling sleepy, now I get to add more time to that window. 15 minutes is enough to change your entire sleep schedule. 15 minutes, and we're going to add that to the bedtime. 
So that means now it's going to be 1145 to six. And I'm going to do that for seven days and then 30 to six and do that for seven days. And so what I'm doing is I'm building up and getting myself to this position where I am not only sleeping straight through the night, but I am a more efficient sleeper. I'm spending six hours in bed to get six hours of sleep instead of 10 hours in bed to get six hours of sleep. So I've just done the impossible. I have just gifted you four hours back in your day. Use them wisely. So here's this amazing piece where that's ways to be able to get time back. What can we use with those four hours so that we're not laying in bed, tossing and turning and being frustrated? If you've been in bed for longer than about 15 minutes and you're not falling asleep, here's the trick. Get out of bed. Do something boring and mundane. Empty the dishwasher. If you have to watch TV, low light further across the room from you. You don't want to start associating your bed with stress and with frustration. But this is the place where am I going to fall asleep? No, we want you to be able to crawl into bed and fall asleep and feel like you're actually resting and enjoying it. And again, that's why your bed is reserved for sleep and romantic activity. And that's it. Dude, that is so mind blowing. You know, I, I started using like like my Apple Watch and when you started saying rewind the time back to what you need. So I said, okay, I need to be up at 5 a.m. and I need to get this much sleep and it'll tell me, all right, 9.50 at night, you need to be down. You need to go down. So are, are there other tools that you think that can help people with the discipline? Because some people may want to do it and then they just don't have the discipline to do it, Melissa. Well, and so I think there are a couple of things and that's what practically happens is we get up in the morning and we're go, go, go throughout the day with work. And especially with founders and entrepreneurs and leaders, it's, well, I'm so busy at work all day. And then I want to be a good spouse and a big, good partner yeah. and a good parent. And I'm here with my kids. And, but then I want to deal with some of the work stuff at the end of the night. So I want to make sure I'm caught up for tomorrow and I don't want to leave my team hanging and it's all on my shoulders. And now it's 10, 11 o'clock at night. Well, I need a few minutes to myself. I want that Netflix episode. I want to do that thing. And we end up pushing into our sleep because we have earned that decompression time for ourselves. I get it. Been there, still there. We do that. But the thing is really one, it's a mind shift change. It's recognizing the fact that, okay, one, there are going to be, if I'm, I'm actually getting better quality sleep and having those hours back to sleep are going to help me to be more productive during the day. It's going to help me to get things done more effectively and efficiently. And mm-hmm. it's going, when I'm taking better care of myself, I'm not going to push for two, three years and then right. catch myself where I can't enjoy the fruits of my labors because I'm sick or I'm burned out or my relationship has failed because I haven't been able to dedicate to that. So recognizing the ability to prioritize. And one of my favorite concepts that I work with all my leaders on is I use the term planned neglect. What? Planned neglect. So what I mean by that is you being able to select and choose and making strategic decisions of what you're not going to do, of what you're going to neglect. We hear people say all the time that it's just as important to say no to things as it is to yes. So you can say yes to other things. Well, maybe you're the parent that wants to, you really care about your kids eating healthy. Great. But does that mean that you have to spend 45 minutes to an hour every single night cooking dinner? Or could you maybe cook a less difficult dinner, but do it with your kids so you can spend time with them? Or is there a healthy takeout option that you can then spend the time with your kids? Does the laundry have to? Yes, I'm not saying that we want the house to be a complete mess, but are there certain days that you do the laundry instead of 
creative procrastination and creative avoidance where we don't want to deal with the email. So all of a sudden our house becomes cleaned and we're taking care of the laundry and we're justifying to ourselves that we need to do this to be a good spouse, a good partner, a good parent, but it's a creative avoidance distraction technique. And then now we're cutting into our sleep because we haven't done the things that we need to do. So that phrase you hear people talk about, eat the frog. Many times I'll say, take the thing that you've been dreading that you have to get done and do it first thing in the morning. You wake up, you do it, it's done. Then you can check it off your list. You've accomplished something for the day. It's not hanging over your head all day. And it's not that thing that you now start with this creative avoidance and being able to choose what are the other things that good versus great. Yes, I wanna be great at everything throughout the day, but if I'm great at everything, I end up not taking care of myself. So what true. things that I'm going to choose to be pretty good at instead of great so that I can be really great at something that's more of a priority for me. Yeah, you're not going to have an area of genius in, in every facet of what you do. Um, I, you, you have to write a book, Melissa. You, you, you have to write a book. Uh, I, I just think you're just a wealth of knowledge, man. And I think there's hopefully that we can get some leaders to kind of slow down and listen to exactly everything that you're saying and take heed in a lot of these things. Um, Thank you. One of the things I've noticed more, you know, especially since, you know, post COVID and everything was uh, you started seeing more apps come out, you know, about well-being, like Headspace, you know, Calm. Uh, and, and, and people doing in more meditation and talking more about, well, mental health, me mental well-being. Um, have you seen uh, people pay more attention to their mental health and, and, and their well-being more since COVID has happened? I'll say yes with a caveat. And what I mean by that is during the heart of the pandemic and coming out right after it, we saw a lot of focus on it. And some of that was because people had the downtime and didn't have the other things to do, they realized how important it was and their stress levels and being connected with people and maybe some unhealthy coping, like drinking to shut your brain off and sleep. And I will say sedation is not sleep. Hmm. But what tended to happen is that then we got back into the hustle and bustle of work and figuring out hybrid schedules and going back into the office and people feeling like they needed to make up for things or prove or keep the job. And all of a sudden, a lot of the progress that we had made for some people, they reverted right back because they didn't have the quote unquote time to do it anymore. That's when we say, yeah. can you afford or not afford? We have seen a lot of people that have also adopted a lot of the apps and the programs but they at first were really dedicated to them. And now it may be going through the motions. They're wearing the wearables, but they're not checking it as much, or they're not listening to the advice as much. Or for some people, it's causing them more anxiety because it's, well, I'm supposed to get this percentage and I got that percentage. So there are lots of ways where people are doing it and companies are providing it for their employees, but they're either not using it anymore because the priorities have shifted again, where people were, some people have, definitely adopted more of that well-being, physical care, mental care, and that's fantastic. And definitely a silver lining that's come out of the pandemic. But unfortunately, a lot of people have reverted back or it's, well, yeah, now I know even more that I should be doing it and I don't have the time to do it. So I'm feeling even more anxious about the fact that I'm not getting to do these things. So it's been interesting to see kind of this, this dichotomy of some that it's been really great for and others that it's highlighted it or contributed to unhealthy habits. 
in your own life, uh, you know, how many of your friends talk to you about their sleep schedules? Everyone. But it's fun. It's, just, it's even interesting, even just being on an airplane and somebody asks you what you do and yeah. somebody will immediately say, oh, can we talk about this? Or I have this friend or how do I work with this? But for me, it's it's exciting. It's important to me. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to go into this career is that if you can help people to stress less, if you can help people to sleep better, to improve their quality of life, the impact you can have for them, for their families. So that's what's driven me. I always tell people the three things are impact, influence, and service. So the ability to serve others, to help others, and to really see the impact that you can have on their lives, it's definitely worth having the conversations. And as long as I'm not putting people to sleep talking about sleep, then yeah. you know, we're on the right on the right path. What a, what a great way to what a great way to kind of cap things off. You're not putting people to sleep talking about sleep. I. Uh, what, what's next on the horizon for you, Dr. Melissa, uh, and, and you and mine, and mine impact? And what, what's, the, what's on the horizon for you? Lots of exciting things happening, working with some great individuals, some great organizations, helping them with all different aspects of their organization to help with mindset, to help to sleep better. I have had the opportunity recently, and we'll get to in the next few months, to be traveling to all different parts of the world to work with some large organizations and some individuals just to really be able to have the impact. It's great working with some of the government agencies and entities to have impact in the schools and within communities, but also just being able to help the individual leaders to see their potential and where they're going. I do have my weekly Wellbeing Wednesday, as I said, the video blog, so you can find it across all different social media and on my website. And, you know, there are, I, I keep hearing from everybody that this book needs to happen. So check, check back with me in a bit. Let's see what we can do to maybe make that happen as well. You, you heard it here. I said to you, hey, you need to make it happen. And uh, what I'm going to ask our social team to do is start sharing out your Wellbeing Wednesdays, because I think that's a, I think that's a great message, especially for now. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a lot, the reason a lot of it hit home for me was because I am, you described me. So I was like, get out of my head and get out of my house. Because a lot of it was me, you know, binge watching a show all day on a Saturday, going to bed super late, you know. Um, and, you know, throughout the work week, you know, I do it and I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch up on sleep on the weekend. And like you said, you just, there's no, we're not camels. We don't store sleep in our humps. So I, you know, a lot of it, you know, hit home for me. And I know a lot of my colleagues, it hits home for them too. Uh, and we think because we're okay that, you know, we're really okay and we're not. Well, I appreciate you saying that because there's functioning, as you said, busy and productive, but there's there's the functioning and then there's optimal best in lots of different ways. And there's so much here that, as I said, we could do multiple episodes where we didn't even get into families and kids and, you know, trying wow. to parent and those and sleep. There's so many avenues, but I think it is where, you know, we hear the silly analogies, put your own mask on first. but I think sometimes it's helpful to hear that, okay, somebody does understand what's happening for me. And there are things that I can practically do about it instead of just feeling hopeless to take control back of it. And even if I can't do it all perfectly at the beginning, progress, not perfection, right? So how can we be right. working through this, but recognizing that I'm not alone, I can do things to be able to move forward with that. And there are resources to help and support me. So I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to have this conversation with you and your listeners, if I can provide resources, please share my contact info. I know sometimes people, if they want to ask questions privately, I, I would love to 
be as a helpful resource to you and your audience as I can. Well, awesome. Go ahead and give them those contact info, website address, give them everything right now. I want them to be able to reach out to you and we'll share it as well. Well, so my website is mindimpactconsulting.com. All the contact information is on there. You can find me on all the different social medias. So from LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, setting up all the different social medias. And you'll find me either at Melissa Melanic, Mind Impact Consulting. Some of them are under Psych Mel as well, Psych Mel 217. I'll share all that information with you. But really through the website and LinkedIn, that's where every single week people are able to find those videos. And I'm working to do my best to have it on all different channels. So whatever modality works best for people, knowing that people learn differently, even using YouTube so that there can be subtitles on there for folks that yeah. maybe want to be need to be able to read that instead of hear it. So it's really been exciting to have folks reach out with different questions. And I would love to hear suggestions for topics. So if somebody wants to hear a Wellbeing Wednesday highlighting a certain topic about sleep, stress, or workplace well-being, please shout them out. And I'd love to be able to provide some insights on those topics as well. Well, I, I'm, I'm thankful uh, as well that you were a guest here as well on the uh, on our podcast today. I think I learned a lot. I mean, I had some jaw dropping moments, you know, that I want to, you know, get better at putting them into practice. Um, but I want to thank you. I want to thank you for giving us, you know, your time and also thank our listeners and viewers for giving us their most valuable asset, which is their time, regardless of how much money you have in this world, you can't buy any more of it. And I think people should kind of hear and understand about buying time from getting sleep and time, which what we talked about today. Um, so for our listeners out there, if you guys feel like this podcast has been uh, a blessing to you, also something you learn from, uh, make sure that you share it out. Uh, feel free to go out and give us a rating. Again, thank you, Dr. Melissa, and also to our sponsors over at Optimizer for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, this is going forward. But before I go, I want to ask you this. There is, you know, a phrase that we use um, called go forward. I end all of my emails that way. And we renamed our podcast going forward because we want people not to look backwards. So what does going forward mean? you, Melissa? I think that while it is important to learn from past experiences so as not to repeat them, it can be very common that we get stuck in the past. If you think of the term we use in psychology, we say rumination, ruminating over and over. And if you think of what that really is, a cow that's a ruminative eater that literally swallows and vomits and keeps chewing it. And it's this, while that sounds gross, it's the fact of all this that we're going back to. And I think that going forward is truly being able to look forward. And you may not even have the strength to take multiple steps, or you may not feel that you have the courage to do that, but it takes significant strength to even look forward, to be able to have that bit of hope, to surround yourself with people that can help you to do that. And to recognize that every step that you're taking in a forward direction, there is something exciting ahead of you, something that is unknown yet. But every time we've taken that step, look where we've gone from it. So going forward, I think, is for me personally, truly being able to recognize that it doesn't have to be perfect, but that there can be excitement in the unknown. And the fact that if you're able to take that step forward, there's still a lot of life for you to give and a lot of impact that you're still destined to be able to have. I could not have said it better myself. Thank you so much for being an awesome guest. Thank um, you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'll get with Pete and the rest of the team to set up 
part two when we talk about families and we'll probably play on that for some time in August, but thank you again. And let's stay in touch. Sounds great. Thank you. Have a great day and sleep well. Sweet dreams. All right. Take care. Dr. Melissa, you rocked it. <laughs> thank you. Is that what you were hoping for? You, you, you rocked it. Thank you so much. We, we, we did it for an hour and it didn't even seem that long. Oh my goodness. I know. I was like, there's so, and there's so much. That's what I was going to say. I don't, and I, I unfortunately have to jump, um, in a second, but if, um, you know, I'm not sure what groups you work with and other things, but I do, you know, as I said, workshops and seminars and all these kind of things. So if you have any group of entrepreneurs that you would want to even maybe yeah. bring together and do an event here in Charleston and, you know, bring leaders together and teach them different strategies and things. I'd love to find some ways to have some impact in the community and maybe collaborate. I, I love your energy and what you're doing. So please, Man. please stay in touch and maybe chew on. Absolutely. Uh, uh, absolutely. I, I totally want to do that. I, you, you really had me and I'm going to tell you, I wasn't kidding. You need to write, you need to write that book. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think you have so much to give. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. It's, it's a balance because, I mean, I guess in my head, I'm like, well, it's so much on science, but there's the practical of what the, the leader and the founder needs to know. And I think that that's where I'm at with it is how can people take it and make it applicable? Yeah. Uh, gosh, man. Uh, if you could, before you leave, yeah. um, can you, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to probably take this and make a a short edit of you saying that, you know, Hey, my name is Dr. Melissa. And then you announce the name of your company and you're going to say like, you know, I'm appearing on the going forward podcast. If you could do that for me, that'd be great. Sure. So, um, I, I'll count you down and then you can just, just say, Hey, you know, introduce yourself, your name of your company and that you're going to be in the podcast. Ready? Three, two. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Melanic founder of Mind Impact Consulting and associate professor at the Medical University of South Carolina. I'm so excited to be asked to be on the Going Forward podcast in the next few weeks. Listen in. That's perfect. Is that what you're hoping for? Yeah, yep. I hope you have an amazing day. Let's stay in touch. I mean it. Please, please do. And when I'm getting ready to get that book, you're going to help me find some people to endorse it, okay? I want a signed copy. You got it. I'll, I'll invite you to the book launch. Have a great day. Yeah, you got it. Take care. Bye. I want to thank you all for giving us your most valuable asset, your time. And also a huge thank you to our sponsors over at Optimizer. For all of you who are running PPC campaigns and you want to see how to do it better and get better results and actually boost the performance of your campaigns and save time, get a free trial at optimizer.com slash go slash VIP.